Hey guys, welcome to one of the last uh, podcasts of 2020 that you'll have to listen to from me. Uh, as far as this class goes, you'll be done um, after this. There will be some reviews that will be podcasts on uh, for your AP final exam. I mean, not AP final exam, for your AP test in the spring of 2021, but you know, you don't have to listen to those if you uh, feel good. Uh, anyways, for your filing exam, remember, I've broken it into two parts. There is the first part, which is Congress, the courts, president, and the bureaucracy. And then there is the part two, which is civil liberties and civil rights. So we'll today, right now, going to work on the first one. I'll do the second one uh, later. And they'll both be available uh, at the latest Monday afternoon. So... Uh, for the exam, remember there are 60 questions on your review, if I'm counting correctly, and there are 50 questions on your test. So that means you're going to, they're coming from a pool, so you will see some questions uh, that your neighbors, your partners, your pen, your whoever, you, you can't have partners, I'll say. Don't do that. But um, <clears throat> you, not everybody's going to get the same questions. All right, here we go. Uh, number one says, how can the president and the Congress hold the bureaucracy accountable? All right, let's let's take them separate here. The president, remember, the big thing he has is he gets to pick a lot of the leadership within the bureaucracy. Within the bureaucracy. So he has that ability. Uh, a lot of the department heads, especially at the cabinet position level, the president is going to pick those people with the, with the Senate approval. All right. Um, he also <clears throat> has the executive orders where he can give directives to the, the uh, bureaucracy. So he has a couple of different options there uh, to try and hold them accountable. Um, he kind of sort of works with the budget, doesn't really control the budget, but because um, Congress ends up controlling that, but he can make suggestions and, and requests and things like that. And then Congress, obviously budget's the big one. Uh, they also get to confirm the people who are picked by the president, so they have that going for them. Uh, they have the ability of oversight where they can call people in to question them and what they're doing and you know, what their agency's doing and um, things like that. So a couple of things that the, the president and Congress can do to hold the bureaucracy accountable. That's, there's more, uh, you know, that's kind of the big ones there. Uh, number two, explain government corporations and independent executive agencies. Okay, government corporations are the easiest one. <clears throat> Excuse me. Remember, government corporations, these are basically businesses that the government owns and operates. The Postal Service is a business. You pay for stamps, you pay for their services, although it is government run and government funded. The goal of a government corporation, though, is that they are supposed to be kind of self-funded. But the post office has been losing money for quite some time, so they are they're dependent upon the government uh, and a budget from them. Okay. Then independent executive agencies, remember the difference between these and a regulatory agencies, these don't have the regulatory function. Okay, they are going to be independent there. They kind of operate independent of the of the uh, president of the Congress. While they can get directives from those people, they kind of operate on their own uh, and kind of do what they, they want. So I think NASA, your NASA, yeah, the president can give directives. Hey, we want to have the Space Force. Or I don't know if that's a NASA thing or a military thing, but um, let's say he gave that directive to NASA. Maybe they could follow through with it. Think back to JFK when he said, hey, we want to have a person on the, uh, man on the moon by night. 70 or whatever it was, and they got somebody on there. So, you know, they they can give those kind of things, but at the end of the day, they get to, the, the independent executive agencies get to kind of make their own decisions and kind of do what they want to for the most part. All right. Uh, the process of a bill becoming a law. Y'all did a web quest on this. I will go back and look at those if you're not sure what the process is. Very quick process. Introduced. Okay. Uh, gets a name. Goes to a committee. 
gets worked on, hearings, uh, experts come in, they do research, they mark it up, make changes to it, vote on it in the committee, it goes to the full house or the full Senate, whichever side it's on, gets debated, gets talked about, gets voted on. If it's approved, it goes to the other side. Same process. If they pass the same bill, it goes to the president. If they pass separate bill or two different bills, two different like wordage, hey, House wants to spend 10 million, the Senate wants to spend 80 million, they got to come to a, con a conclusion there. And so they'd have to come with a conference committee before they can send it on to the president. That's the quick version. If you need more details, go to your presentations. They should be on your Weebly pages too if you want to look at someone who's better than you uh, and who might have a better project or, better, I mean, a better presentation that would explain it a little bit better. But that was the quick version. Okay. Uh, let's see. Differences between the House and the Senate. The big thing is the House is a lot more formal than the Senate. Remember, the House has a lot of rules. Uh, debate is limited and those sorts of things because there's so many people. All right. Uh, the Senate has uh, 100 people, so they have a lot less and they're able to have conversations and they don't have to, to limit the debate. So the debate can go on forever in the Senate if, if it really wanted to. Uh, but the, there's the, the, the House also has the Rules Committee. Uh, the Senate does not have one. Remember, the House has a the House uh, Speaker of the House, excuse me, the Senate does not have that. Okay, the Senate leadership is is it's led by the majority party at this point, although they're supposed to kind of split the responsibilities to the majority and minority party. All right, uh, but those are just some of the differences. There's there's other kind of minor ticky tacky moves that we're not going to get into uh, in this. You know, if you need to, obviously ask me questions. Uh, let's see, legislative checks on the executive branch. Uh, well, there's a bunch of them. Just a couple. Remember, they can override a veto. Okay, they can impeach the president. Remember, the House votes on impeachment, then the Senate actually kicks them out. They get to approve the budget. They get to approve all uh, appointments the president makes almost, you know, Supreme Court justices, federal judges, uh, department heads, things like that. All those things go through that process um, of the, the president, I mean, of the, of the Senate and Congress confirming those people. Uh, shared powers of the president and Congress over the bureaucracy. Alrighty. So what are some powers that they both have over the bureaucracy? The big one's the budget, right? The big one's the budget. And then they both play a role in who's going to be the leadership. Because remember, the president picks them, but then Congress has to, to oversee them. Um, explain the nomination process of Supreme Court justices. So when there's an opening, and we've seen this happen three times now with Donald Trump, um, but there's an opening. The president gets a list. He'll come up with the, and this isn't formal, but he'll come up with a list of names. They will vet those names. Now, when I say vet, that means that the White House is going to do their due diligence, go through, make sure these people are who they say they are, make sure they don't have any kind of dark skeletons in their uh, closets and things like that. All right. They're also going to give this list to the Department of Justice, the FBI, and get them to do a vetting and kind of confirm the stuff that the White House finds on their own. Once they've done all this stuff, then they will come up with a name. Uh, who is going to get, you know, they have to ask themselves, who's going to get nominated? I mean, not, not nominated, but who's going to get approved? Who will, you know, it depends on the fight they want to have. Yeah. Uh, but once they've done that, they submit the name to the Senate. The Senate then goes to the Judiciary Committee. All right. The Judiciary Committee will hold their hearings, their investigation, do all the kind of same stuff that the White House did and the FBI did. And they will call that person in. They will question them. They will vote on it. If they vote favorably, then it goes to the full Senate. If they vote unfavorably, it can still go to the full Senate, but likely it's not likely to get a, to, to, well, I shouldn't say it's not likely. It depends on the makeup of the Senate, but it's harder to get through. 
Okay. Uh, and then the full Senate will have their vote. And then if they vote yes, then they become a Supreme Court justice. Quick version there. Okay. Uh, pocket vetoes. I think everybody's familiar, familiar with the pocket veto. Remember that is a specific time frame. Uh, if a bill goes to the president with less than 10 days left in the session, if they want to, they can let it sit and they can let it die. Because remember, everything has to be signed, sealed, and delivered before the end of a session. If it does not get done before the end of a congressional session, then it does have to start all over. Pork barreling. Uh, this is every congressperson's favorite thing to do. They like to, to do the, these are projects that they get to spend money on that benefits really only their home district, only their home state. Why do they like to do it? Well, because they get the credit claim. Hey, look at that project over there. I got the money for that. It created all these jobs. It created this nice new building. It created this nice new park, whatever it might be. And they get to point out all the stuff that they've done for their home district, for their home state. So that's what Pork Barrel is. Executive agreements. Uh, don't get these confused with orders. So you have the executive orders and you have the executive agreements. Executive agreements are what we're working on here. These are with other countries. Okay. So executive agreements are with other countries. And uh, the big thing to remember about them is that they get around Senate approval. While the president has to get a, um, uh, 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 a treaty approved by the Senate, they don't have to do that with an executive agreement. So the president can go work out whatever deal he wants to with another country. And let's just make it an executive agreement and we get around uh, having to go through the Senate. Now, if that happens, Congress does have some options. You know, they, they don't have to just sit and take it. Uh, they could write up legislation that might might kind of make the, the whole executive agreement null and void. It just depends upon, once again, the fight they want to have with the president. But uh, that's what it is. And it's just a way of circ circumnavigating uh, the powers of Congress. All right, committees, explain the four types. So there's four types. We've got conference committee, which we've kind of talked about, but I'll talk about again in a second. We've got the standing committees, joint and select. All right. The big one is the standing committees. Remember, these are the permanent committees. They're there every session. They are there from, uh, you know, the rules committee has been around since the 1790s or whatever. So it's it's been around. It's, it's every every session. Uh, this is where the most work takes place. Every bill that goes before Congress will go to one of the standing committees. And from there, it'll go to a subcommittee, which is just a, a smaller breakdown of the committee itself. Uh, but that's the standing committee. They are permanent. Um, you know, you want to get on the right committees in order to, to make your mark in Congress. Conference committee is an easy one. That's when there's differences in a bill. They will come together. So House members and Senate members will come together and they'll sort out the differences. You know, we've I, I use money as an easy example because it's just easy to meet in the middle. But whatever the difference is, um, whether it be something technical, whether it be something huge, um, you know, sometimes it's more difficult than others when it's a political idea or issue uh, versus just we can spend this much or this much and things like that. Uh, but they will sort out the differences in a bill and make sure it's the same exact bill before um, it's able to be sent to the president. Because if they can't sort out the differences, then the bill dies. OK, uh, the joint and the select committees, these are the last two. Uh, the select committee is kind of a special committee. You might also see it sometimes called the special committee. But they usually arise out of a problem. So we need to investigate something. Watergate, for example, had a select committee. The campaign finance reform stuff had a select committee. And these select committees, they can last for multiple sessions, but they're not going to be permanent like the standing committee. So eventually they are going to go away. Uh, but they will investigate something that oftentimes leads to some kind of change, reform, something like that. Um, 
and they are on both sides. Okay, they are not a combo deal. They are on separate. So you have a House Select Committee and you have a Senate Select Committee. And then finally is the Joint Committee. We don't see these too often, but they are some kind of um, their committee. The, the job of this committee is to to put out some kind of information. Okay. Uh, give examples of independent executive agencies. So we've already kind of done this. We did. We said NASA, uh, also uh, CIA, I believe, is one. Um, so you've got a couple there. Twenty um, Second Amendment. Uh, the Twenty Second Amendment says that the office of the president can only be held by a person no more than two years. I mean, uh, two terms or ten years. And remember, the 10-year thing comes from the vice president taking over. You know, Joe Biden is sworn in on January 20th and then dies on January 21st. That's not, you hope that doesn't happen. But you know, if it were to, uh, Kamala Harris would take over. And I probably don't say her name correctly, but uh, she would take over and she would, this would count as her term. Okay. If they waited until January 21st, 2023 for Joe Biden to die, and uh, this, I, I, this is a very morbid, talk. I don't worry like that. But, uh, you know, if he was to uh, and she took over then, then it'd be less than two years. And so that would not count. So she would have those two years. Plus, she could run and win in 2024, serve a term and then win again in 2028 and serve a full term. So um, that is the 22nd Amendment. All right. Uh, House Rules Committee. Remember, the most important committee out there. Uh, it's only on the House side. So don't think there's a Senate Rules Committee because there's not. It's only on the House side. And remember, when a bill is passed through a committee, so it goes from the uh, House Ways and Means Committee to tax bill, let's say. It gets done there. Then it goes to the Rules Committee. And they're the ones that will sort out the agenda for it. Hey, we're going to put it on this. We're, we're going to debate it on this date. Uh, we're going to give it this much time. We're going to let this person speak, this person speak. Uh, there can be amendments added to it, and they make all the rules. Well, that's why they're the rules committee. They make all the rules uh, for the debate for it, basically. Uh, who do presidents nominate as judges? Well, you know, there's no real criteria to be a judge. Uh, anybody can be a judge. I can be a judge. You know, uh, they're not coming to get me though for some reason. I wish they would, but they they're not. So, uh, anyways, who's the president going to pick? Well, typically it's going to be someone that leans, you know, along their ideological lines. They're not going to, you know, Trump conservative is not going to pick a liberal Democrat to be a Supreme Court justice. They might go moderate, someone who's a little more middle of the road occasionally, but for the most part, they're going to pick someone who fits their uh, way of thinking. Okay, that's the big thing. Now, there has been a move to kind of diversify the, the, the judgeships. And since 2000, actually a little bit before 2000, it started with Bill Clinton. Uh, but Bill Clinton, George Bush, uh, those guys did a really good job kind of starting to diversify and then it's just continued on. Uh, I think we took kind of step back here recently, but uh, it's still, you know, to look at the Supreme Court, still uh, it's kind of diverse uh, to an extent. Uh, let's see. Why are federal judges, judge nominations so contentious? The big thing is they're for life. Okay, and it's really it's not the federal judges. They're a big deal. They're a bigger deal than most people think. Everybody puts the the, the biggest bit of concern on the Supreme Court. And yes, that is a huge deal because they're the last, you know, kind of resort. But who's making most of the decisions? Well, these federal court judges. Anyways, why are they? So why is it such a big deal? Well, because they're for life. Okay, so Trump, he's gone January 20th. I really I know there's some stuff going on and I'm not looking to get into the current event piece, but I just don't see a path to victory for him. 
uh, at this point on December 11th, 2020 at 1.40 p.m. Uh, maybe there is, and it'll be a surprise, but I just don't see it. Okay, so he'll be gone. But he's had three Supreme Court justices that he's put on the court. He's had numerous federal court judges, you know, district court judges that he's put on the court. His ideologies are going to live on well past his, his presidential term. Divided government, this can happen a number of ways. You can have a president for one party and then a House and Senate that's controlled by a different party. Okay, that's going to be divided government. Um, you can have a president and then the House or Senate from one party and then the other side is from a different party. That's divided. Okay. Uh, I would actually argue that we need divided government. But I don't, it's such a weird thing. You know, we, we need to be able to work together. And we're just so far apart nowadays, it seems like, on these divisions between the Republicans and the Democrats. And it just it feels like no one wants to work together. But it's good to be divided. It's, it's not, to me, it's not good to just streamline everything through just, okay, here we go. This is our ideas. We're going to put it in. You need kind of that pushback. You need to be challenged. Things need to be challenged. You know, there's an old, you don't want to have, if you're a, a leader, you don't want to have a bunch of yes men around you who are just saying, yes, 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 that's great. The same deal with the government. We don't want to have just everything just flying through. We need someone to vet it, someone to, challenge is someone to question what's happening and uh, we don't get that when it's all control of one party so and that's my opinion you know maybe you're like screw that guy uh we need to just get everything done and maybe that maybe that maybe that does, maybe that will work we'll see but uh, in my opinion we need that kind of pushback on stuff okay uh the next one is your uh fed 78 remember we did a discussion on fed 78 all right so we did a discussion uh, that was the one where you could do the uh, live session or you did it on e-class. Uh, but it's just about the judges, judicial review. And remember, you know, he argued that the, the judge, the judge, the judicial branch would be the, the weakest branch and things like that. OK, uh, I'm running kind of short on time, so I'm starting to move, trying to move a little bit quicker. Uh, judicial review. Remember, this is the ability of the, the Supreme Court to rule things. And I say things because there's multiple things, bills, policies, those sorts of stuff, uh, unconstitutional. And it comes from Marbury versus Madison. Bicameralism, that's just the two house legislature. Cloture vote, this ends a filibuster. So remember, filibuster is unlimited debate. You can talk and talk and talk and talk a bill to death or attempt to delay action on a bill. If that's happening, the other party can say, we want to make a motion for cloture. All right, think cloture, closure, however you want to think of it. But it says, hey, we're going to have a vote on the issue. Now we're going to end debate. No more debate. So it just cuts off debate, basically. Log rolling. Those are the uh, deals that gets made between uh, members of Congress, potentially the president and members of Congress to get things done. It's just the favors. It's the backroom deals. But we probably don't want to know about them. Or maybe we do. Uh, Iron triangles. So remember, this is the thing we said is a, we, we, it feels like it's a huge deal because it shows up in like three units. And it is a big deal, but it's not the big deal that it's made out to be. OK, uh, remember, this is the relationship between the congressional committee, whichever congressional committee that is. The interest group. And the federal bureaucratic agency that aligns with whatever it is. OK, so that's what an iron triangle is, is just that relationship 
um, and how they get things done, basically. Uh, 24, why did Congress and the, uh, I had a little flip up there. Why did Congress and the president often clash? The big thing here is think about it, right? The president has a nationwide base he has to pander to. Congress has a specific base that they have to pander to, all right? So president has a whole nation. Congress, I just have to worry about my home district. I don't have to worry about my home state. So that's, that's one of the big things. Congressional leadership and what does each role do? So Lester on the House side, the House has the Speaker of the House. They run the show, all right? They get to make all kinds of decisions uh, for the rest of the House. Uh, they help with committee, who's on what committee. Uh, they work with the Rules Committee on setting the agenda for debate, who's going to talk and all those sorts of things. Uh, they're, they're the leader of the show. All right. Then you have the majority party leader on the House side who is going to assist the Speaker of the House, but has their real power. All right. They're not going to be. Now don't get me wrong. It's a powerful position, but it's not like the Speaker of the House. And they're more of an assistant to the Speaker of the House. Then you have the minority party leader who really has nothing to do because on the House side, the minority party is really super weak. OK, they're 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 there. They don't get nothing happens for them. All right. Especially if it's they're not real willing to work together. OK, then both sides have the whip. OK, they both have the whip. And uh, the whip is, you know, to, to keep the parties in shape and to make sure we know who's the leadership knows who's going to vote who, which way and that kind of stuff. Uh, and I found I used to think it was whip people in shape. I know it's actually uh, well, kind of, I guess, but it's from an English thing uh, with the fox hunting and the, the whip. OK, on the Senate side, you have the president of the Senate, who's the vice president, but never there. So you have the president pro tempore, who's the honorary position and doesn't have any real power. All right. So instead, it falls to the majority minority leaders. At the moment, we let the majority leader make all the decisions for the most part. They're supposed to work with the minority party, and they do to an extent, but really the majority party drives everything in the Senate. Then they have the whips also. Uh, 26, vice president in the Constitution. Remember, there's only one job that the vice president has, and that is to be the president of the Senate. But do they ever go? That's No, they don't. That's why I want to be. The vice president one day. So please, I beg of you, keep me in mind when you run for president to be your vice president. I promise you, I will not. I, I won't bring any negative attention to you. I won't bring up my plans to take over Canada um, and things like that. So uh, I won't make you look bad. I think I can get you Florida because that's where I'm from. Uh, obviously, you'll get Georgia. Um, so you know, I think I have some good stuff going for me. So please. I, you know, I don't like to speak in public, so I won't go out and embarrass you there. Um, yeah, I think I, I know how to debate a little bit. I think I can do that. Um, so, yeah, keep me in mind. All right, Fed 70, another discussion thing. I uh, remember this was about the we need an individual single president versus a group as the president. Uh, why justify a strong executive branch? Well, because remember how weak the articles were and there was no president there was no figurehead there was no leadership okay and so uh, you want to have this strong executive branch because well first off that's who the people look to all right and secondly you don't want to have just congress doing whatever they want to uh let's see how is the presidency different today than the vision of the framers well we just talked about that remember that and I, if i'm now that I'm reading this study guide a little bit closer, I'm, I'm thinking this, there's a quote, and that's why there's three questions kind of back to back about the, the Fed 70. Um, the framers, they really pictured a weak, 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 weak president. 
Okay, and the Congress running everything. All right. Uh, let's see. 30 court packing. This would be increasing the size of the courts. There's been talk of that today uh, because there's uh, the conservative uh, majority on the Supreme Court. So there's talk of let's make it larger. Remember, there's no set number. The Constitution does not set the number of uh, Congress. I mean, of, of uh, court members. So Congress can set it however they want to. I think we've been as high as 15 back in 18 something or other. I can't remember the date. And we've been as low as seven. So yeah, the number can, is, is, it's just a suggestion. It's not, well, it's not even a suggestion. We can do what we want to with it. So court packing will be to add people to the court. All right. Um, but the problem I have with court packing and, you know, whatever, whatever you think one way or the other, you know, all um, Trump was wrong for putting that person, that uh, Amy Coney Barrett on there, blah, 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 whatever. The problem with packing the court is if you pack the court now, when the Republicans get control again, and this thing goes in cycles, when they get control again, what are they going to do? They're going to pack the court. And then you'll pack the court. And then back and forth. Okay. Um, eventually, we'd get to where the Supreme Court is just too big. So I'm against it. I think we should just leave it at nine. And just let this let it run its course. Okay, let it run its course. That's my opinion, though. All right, but uh, maybe you think differently. Executive orders. So different from agreements. Executive orders are the domestic thing. They are directives to the bureaucracy to do something. They do have the force of law. That's why they're such a big deal, and that's why people make such a big deal about them. Is because they do have the force of law behind them. Uh, but they are just directives to the agencies. Uh, within the, the bureaucracy. Gerrymandering, remember this is trying to pack a uh, district, okay? Uh, it is legal, but it can be challenged. And then remember the courts in Baker versus Carr said that the courts can look at the lines and how they're drawn and they can try and, and make changes or force the, the states to make changes. Now remember this, the state legislatures that draw these things up. So that's why your state uh, legislatures are actually so important. And you know, I don't know if we'll see any gerrymandering in Georgia in the coming years when we start redrawing, but you know, it's a possibility. So there you go. Uh, congressional representation, very vague question here. Uh, but just remember the Senate, they have the whole state. All right. So you have a, a wide range of people you have to satisfy. If you're a Senator here in Georgia, you have the Atlanta Metro area and you also have the rural areas, you know, district house members have a district. They have a small little area. State of the union is a required, uh, address by the president. To the country, he gives it to uh, in front of the, the full house and the full senate, and uh, it's just uh, it's really today it's it used to be you know kind of a an address to to say how things are going. Now it's more of a kind of a political event, and it's used to to lay out this is what I want to do in the future, not necessarily how things are going. And then activism versus restraint for the courts. Uh, activism tends to be a liberal Democrat viewpoint for judges, where they are going to actively activism. Okay, uh, try and make rules, regulations, policies with their court decisions versus judicial restraint, which tends to be a more conservative Republican viewpoint. Uh, original intent, you might see it as sometimes where, hey, we want to just base our stuff only on the Constitution. What did the Constitution say? What did the founding fathers try and mean? What were they meaning when they wrote this thing up back in whenever they wrote it back in 1780, whatever it was, or 90, whatever. Okay, uh, so there, there we go. That was very quick. Uh, there's only two minutes left, so I'm going to stop. If you have questions about any of the stuff we went over, then I, I went quick. Uh, you know, that was the condensed version of the review. So if you have questions, please hit me up on text. Remind, I'll answer your questions there as best I can. 
uh, or you know, I'm in the Zoom call every day. You can always uh, jump in there and ask questions uh, or make time and uh, come to advisement or I'll come to your advisement or whatever we need to do. All right, guys, uh, good luck on all the rest of your exams. I've enjoyed this semester, um, even though it's been weird and I don't know any of some of you, you digital people. But anyways, y'all take care. Good luck on your exams and I'll talk to you later. Bye-bye.